Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hale. Well, as we jump in this morning, um, welcome back those that were away for spring break. Jake, love the tan, looking good. Megan, you completed five books while you were away? Five books in how many days? Five days? Seven days? Six days. So five books, six days. Anybody else on pace with that? I am not. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to Indiana weather. Um, Anybody else enjoy the sunshine getaway? Show of hands for those that were able to get away. Nice Hazleys, these guys. Everybody else must still be gone, right? Those that aren't here today. Those that maybe stayed home, was it a bit of a madhouse having kiddos at home and not fully sure how to take care of everything? Well, Jessica was hopefully able to get some rest, I think, as she was able to be home this week. So grateful that she gets that time as she works for Madison Grant. And uh, Jessica actually took some time to, to get away and go visit her sister and also to see Kaylin's little cousin to even do a little shopping, a little shopping trip. That was a little fun. Um, I didn't go, but Jessica went. Um, she also got to go and have lunch with some friends, and I just know that was really life-giving for her, so I'm grateful that she got that time. And as she was on her way back, she went down to the Carmel area. She was on her way back up this way. She made a pit stop at Hamilton Town Center at a Euthrow uh, Clay studio. And a couple weeks ago, Jessica turned the next decade. I won't say the number, but she turned the next decade, and... Um, she picked up four original pieces of pottery. And so when we were celebrating her birthday, one of the things we did was we went to this clay throwing studio and we got to work a wheel and we got to learn how to like, you're supposed to slam that clay down on the wheel and just enjoyed. We we're actually 30 minutes late unintentionally, but they were gracious to let us in. Um, and still we were whipping out a couple of pieces. So I've got a couple of them I want to share. Uh, this is one of Jessica's. And we were both first-timers. We'd never done this before. So we, you have to like throw it on there, and there's a certain way you have to shape it and move your fingers and thumbs, and you're supposed to do it at certain paces, and then you're supposed to like use two fingers to raise it. And two of ours didn't really raise. The other ones were, were pretty decent. But, um, so there's one, and here's mine. <laughs> it raised. And then it fell. Um, so we had a good time with it, and it was just neat to be able to, to go there. But, and, and this was actually a piece that initially, it raised really well. I was actually really excited about it because it was my second one, and I was like, man, I, you know, I got the first one that way. It's, it's pretty good. We actually kept it as well, um, and it's got a nice little bowl. But, but this one raised well, but then I, I brought it too thin at the base, and so it started collapsing on itself like this, and so then I decided, well, it's not going to work, so I'll just fold it in on itself. <laughs> And so it's, it's actually intentional um, to look that way, but well, we're going to keep it, and I might even put like two eyes on it like a little frog. I don't, I don't fully know what we'll do with it yet, but, but it, was, it was fun. As I was thinking about this piece, thinking about this morning, and reflecting on last week's message, as Pastor Brock was, was bringing a pretty heavy message, and he said that the next week he's going to bring a pretty heavy one too, and then he skipped town and said, Andrew, you got to bring it. Um, He'll be coming back next week to continue on with that. But I wanted to, to, to 
take some of the pieces that he talked about last week and kind of dive into them a little bit and kind of see where, where some of my thoughts and where I'm, I've, have I wrestled through some of those pieces of, as he talked about, total depravity as opposed to the difference between that and utter depravity and how we as humans, we have sin and we have sin that affects us in every facet. In totality of our being, we have been affected whether it's in our physical body, whether it's in our spiritual nature, whether it's in our psychological aspects, we're just corrupted. We are broken. We are messed up, and we're kind of fallen, fallen in. We're still a beautiful creation of God, and yet it has fallen into a place of disrepair, I would dare to say. And so he talked about last week... This idea of if today we have hospitals, and if we're sick or if we're not well, we go to the hospital. Hopefully, it's not something super serious, but it is something we need attention for, and they can give us you know, a prescription or medication or something. We take that, and over time, we're able to, to get our body back to where it was supposed to be, as opposed to that. And, and that's oftentimes the, the understanding we have of sin and how it affects us, and we just need Jesus to come in and give us that injection, or we need Jesus to come in and give us that prescription, go through the Bible, do exactly what it says, and we're good to go, right? I'm a good person. I'm decent. I've got some things that I've got to deal with. It's back here. You don't need to look back there, but, but it's got stuff that needs addressed. But in actuality, we're actually, as humans, as creation, if we are actually understanding that our sin affects us totally, that means that we're actually in a morgue. And there's nothing in a morgue that brings life back to a body. Unless it's outside of that body. Now, I'm not saying that in the physical sense of you can bring a body back to life. What I'm getting at is the spiritual sense that we are spiritually in a morgue. And there's nothing that we can do to revive that. There's nothing we can do to bring that back to where it's a place of cleansed, a place of wholeness, a place of where it's not fractured or, or altered. And so anything outside of God is done in sin. Even if it's a seemingly good thing. If I go serve in a, at, a, at a soup kitchen... But if it's not done in the spirit of God, is it possible? Does that make sense at all that it is done in sin? And so as I've wrestled with those concepts and those ideas, I was talking to Pastor Brock about it, just kind of trying to feel out some of those things. And he, he passed me on to, to a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And there's going to be a couple slides with a long quote here. And as we're getting into that, it's, it's not scripture. This is this guy's interpretation of humanity. So just want to lay that out, that I'm not saying this is what we have to believe, that this is 100% correct. I'm just saying let's get some perspective on possibly some further depth of the seriousness that we need to consider our lives. And so Jonathan Edwards, he says, your wickedness, speaking to humans, your wickedness makes you as it were heavy as lead and to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. So there's a lot of bigger words there and a lot of different pieces that we could, we could pull apart, but just that illustration of if it's like we're trying to catch something, the only thing we can use to catch it is a spider's web. Another illustration, might be, we talked about this at men's group yesterday, I shared, so don't, don't worry, men, I got you. But it's, it's almost like this, this image of there's a, 
a rock rolling down a hill, and I'm like trying to stop it, and I'm using like friction and force and like trying to have people help me hold this thing, but there's nothing I can do to stop that rock, that sin, from carrying on down that hill. It's going to keep going. And so then how do we respond to that? So if we've got these, this heaviness and this depth and this like, well, if, if I am totally depraved, then what do we do? How do I, can I do anything at all? Am I, poss- am I capable of doing anything that God would deem as good? As we know in Isaiah 64, 6, and we'll get to that later again, but it says it's as if anything I do is like filthy or blood-stained rags. Pretty bleak stuff. And so how do we possibly respond? Well, two, two different ways we've seen in Scripture, and there are more, but two that we're going to dive into is Adam and Eve, and then we'll get to also King David. So Adam and Eve, they respond when they're realizing their sin and coming to become aware of it and realizing they have a need, is they go hide and they start blaming. And so God tells Adam he may eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so then we fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, which is where the fall takes place. And Eve and the serpent are there, and they have their interaction, their dialogue, and, and she becomes deceived by the words of the serpent. And she's deceived. No, we've talked about this before, but it's always important to remind us that Adam is standing right there. She says she turns and gives the fruit to Adam, who was with her. And they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they realize that they are naked, and they sowed fig leaves together. And so then that evening, after they've had a little bit of time, God is walking through the garden, and they hear him walking. And they could respond and say, Lord, we're here. We've got something on, but we're here. And instead, they turn, and they go and hide. To the point that God says, where are you? And make no mistake, God knew where they were, but he still asked the question. He said, where are you? And I almost picture this as like, you know, if you're, at least I did this as a kid, you're going into the pantry and there's that last donut stick that you know your mom wants, or you're going into the pantry and there's that last bowl of cereal that you know that your sibling's going to want. You're like, but I really want it. And so you hide in the pantry and you eat it. And then they come in and you turn around and you have a moment to decide, are you going to stuff it in your mouth? Or are you going to like throw it behind you and pretend there's nothing going on and blame it on your other sister? That never happened. Um, that's just a fun way to picture it, maybe. Uh, but the repercussions of this moment, I don't want to lose that. They're monumental, right? This is the creation story, and this is the fall, the entering of sin for the rest of humanity. This is where we are now affected for all of the existence of time. And then, not only do they hide, once they are then found out, their reaction is, when God confronts Adam, well, it's this woman. And then the woman says, well, it's this snake. So we can hide, we can blame, we can focus away, and in the midst of that, we're still making it about us, but we're deflecting it, we're making it. Well, it's it's about these other people, but in actuality, we're just protecting ourselves. So we can hide and blame from the reality of creation. 
Or, as David does, and David is not a perfect example in the sense of that David is the one that is described as the one after God's own heart, and yet David seems to live in these extremes of amazing success and amazing following of the Lord, and then he stoops to these places of just complete opposite. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is king, and he has a reputation on behalf of the good of God's people, and they would, you know, of, of Saul who came before him, Saul has killed thousands. And then David comes along, he's killed tens of thousands for the good of God's work. And so this time, instead of going with his men, he sends them off to war, and he stays home. And, and in that space, as you're hanging out, you go complacent, maybe you get a little bored. We maybe even become a little selfish, maybe even more so than we already had. And David gets to the point of even perusing the top of the palace, and he knew what he was doing. And he betrays the sanctity of a woman. He betrays the trust of a close friend, and he betrays the honor and glory that God had bestowed upon him. It wasn't David's glory. It was glory given because of God. And so then, he does try to hide his actions by getting his friend killed in battle. And so then we pivot into 2 Samuel 12, the next chapter, and God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to come and to speak to approach King David and to narrate a story to King David to illustrate a point. And so David gets all riled up. He's telling him, well, I need to find out who this guy is, and I need to go take care of him. I need to follow up, and I need to make sure that there's, there's justice that is served in this circumstance. And Nathan says, you're, you're missing it. It's you. The story is about you. And so in that moment of exposure, David can try and deflect, he can try and blame, he can try and even get rid of the prophet. But instead, he realizes who this prophet is. He realizes that the word of God is being spoken to him, and he responds by admitting his sin, and in this interaction, he falls face down. And maybe he went all the way down. But this concept of face down occurs at least 20 times in Scripture. And so for the David situation, Nathan does indicate because of David's repentance, David's turning back to the God, back to God, he indicates that his sin is forgiven and yet consequences will still follow because of his actions. But looking at this concept of face down, there's 20 potential occurrences and a few of them are from some different places in Scripture. And so Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. Another one. And there came forth fire from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Another one. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Another one. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tent of meeting and fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And one more. And the disciples, having heard, did fall upon their face. And we're exceedingly afraid. And so, will our response to God's action, or our response to what God is doing, will our response to what we have done and then God is responding to, what do we do with that? We can have a, a God-given response of shifting and blaming, of, of hiding, of, of becoming now man-centered. Well, it's about me, God, and it's, yeah, I messed up, but I'm okay. I can, I can fix it. I can address it. I can deal with it. I can make it better. Or a response could be to bury our face before the Lord 
in repentance. We are overwhelmed to the point that we fall to our knees, which this is not easy. We fall to our knees. And not just to grovel, not just to, to lay there and, and try to make excuses or try to, to explain, God, this is why or this is what or this is how. But in our response that we are so moved by the Lord. And I'm not just talking emotional response. That, that's helpful and that's good and that's, that's got its place. I'm talking about a proper response of recognizing who he is as king, as Lord, as creator, as savior. And may our response then be, God, I am yours. I am before you. God, I have nothing to bring you. And God, I am overwhelmed by your beauty. I am overwhelmed by your wonder. I'm overwhelmed by your glory and your power. And so to, to, to respond with yielding, to respond with submission, to bury our face on the ground to the point of being delirious because we are realizing that we are broken, that we are sinners, that we are, it's not just a label, it's who we are. Isaiah 38, 14, delirious, I chattered like a swallow or a crane, and then I moaned like a mourning dove. My eyes grew tired of looking to heaven for help. I am in trouble, Lord, help me. Anybody ever get tired of asking God, what the heck? God, where are you at? God, what is going on this time? I, I, thought, I, was, I thought we were on the same page. I, I really thought I had a sense of where you were going, and this is not what I had in mind. This is not what I understood. Lord, please help me. And it's in those spaces that that we do find ourselves broken. It's in those spaces we find ourselves crushed. It's in those spaces where we find ourselves maybe falling over. And it doesn't necessarily mean physically, but that I am falling over before the Lord's presence. And again, we're not just talking an emotional response, but if you look at Psalm 34, verse 18, it'll be on the screen. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so is it possible that God has designed things in such a way that we are not capable, but he is? And so that we realize we have a need and that we become crushed and broken, and then in that space, he is able to come in and restore and even redeem and even actually make it better than we were originally created as. So we're not talking about emotion. That is, again, helpful. We're talking about responding to a God who is present, involves, alive, and desires to be present if we let him. And I'm open to that because I see my need. We have that need. I had a lunch with Chris Huffman this week, and he was talking about how as he was getting ready to close his business, he had a conversation with his wife and just talked about how they just had a need to just be at a, at a certain point, and then they would be able to, to close the business. And it wasn't too much long later as he said, God, this is yours. God, I don't know how this is going to happen. There's just a need here. And while, yes, we're talking about a, you know, a business and a, and a tangible need, this, this helps illustrate and so as, as things just kind of lined up, things fell into place, they were able to give, they were to give abundantly, they were to give and make a difference in the lives of hundreds of people, just the way that God orchestrated it, made it happen, made it work, and just because he said, I'm available, I'm open, I'm wanting to respond. And with that, 
Is wanting to respond, does that result to just trying? Are we just trying to respond? Because we're still talking about, okay, if we are sinners, that we have nothing that we can offer God, we can respond by saying, God, I have this need, and I'm going to lie face down in front of you. But then whenever he lifts us up, do we have to try? Do we need to do something? Is there an action that needs to follow? Is there life that continues to be lived? There's a quote by Jean-Jacques Rousseau from 1712, and he says, man is basically free, and everywhere he goes, he is in chains. So as humans, we are given freedom to live, to be, to be present, to live in the midst of this life, that we can be free in God's spirit, and yet we live in chains above sin. In Romans chapter 7, Paul describes, and it's that quote where there's a lot of do's, I do, to do, to do. Paul describes, I do not do what I want to do, and I do what I do not want to do. Yep. We can summarize it in the verse following that section, and this picks up in Romans 7, 21 to 25. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Or maybe we could say sin is right there in it with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And so we've got in that passage God's law, and then there's a second law mentioned, the law of sin. So if you've got God's law, it's written into my spirit. We are created by him. It's written into our spirit, into our DNA. This is who I created you to be. This is what I created you to be. You are my creation, and I have made you glorious. And perhaps a way to see it that can be helpful as we look back to how Pastor Brock talked about the apple seed. If we see this as inside of ourselves, God has inserted inside of us a godly seed. So we've got this seed that, that wants to grow, that we want to help cultivate to grow. And yet, we have this other sin law, this law of sin that has been inserted into creation and has been inserted into my spirit. And so now I have two seeds inside of me. We see it as another seed, a sinful seed. And so if we're, we're having that perspective, we have that understanding. I know we're getting into some, some maybe even philosophical type pieces, but just that concept of the, that God has inserted into us his being, his creation, and that we then also now have a separate one that's been put into us that is the law of sin that's, that's tearing at us. And so again, is our response, is it one that we respond with hiding, shifting, just figuring it out? I'm just going to try and I'm going to do what I can and I'm going to serve at my church. And I'm going to do these things. I'm going to show up. And is it possible that there's a different response there? And it's to, to say, as we continue on with that passage, picking up in verse 24 from Romans 7, this follows right after. It says, what a wretched man I am. And that is said with an exclamation point. It wasn't just, I'm not so good. You know, I've, I'm actually a decent person. I've got some stuff that I got to deal with. I, I should. No, he says, I am a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who will rescue me? So outside rescuing me, 
from a body that is subject to death. I have death inside of me. Who is going to come in and do something about that? Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so if we have a God who comes in to us and sets us free, we are then free in Christ. And we get to stand firm and do not let ourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, the yoke of sin. So I, I hope you're, kinda, you're able to stay with me, but we've got me, God comes in, I am now free, and I'm free from that yoke of sin. Yeah, we do continue to sin, but I have been freed up. I know that I have a realization that I need to respond, that I fall face down before him again. And he lifts us up and he says, come on, you're free. Yes, we need to respond and recognize and and acknowledge our need again and again and again. And it's tiresome. Your knees are scratched up maybe even from that rough dirt underneath you. You ready? Invite Tracy up here to help me out with one last piece for today. So this is to help illustrate a little bit of this as well. That's good right there. I'll move this so you can see. All right. And Tim and Bonnie, if you're watching, I'm putting this on the floor. All right. And that's for me and that's for you. All right, so here's what's going to happen. Is Tracy is going to stand kind of underneath the orangish red towel. And we've got some delicious... Are you allergic to cocoa? Okay. Whew, we might have had a quick, spontaneous volunteer. Special, dark, mildly sweet chocolate, fat-free. 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 You don't got to eat it. No. But if you want to, we'll get there. All right, good. So we've got this this chocolate sauce, and I want you to picture it like sin, all right? And what we're getting at here is we're not just talking about sin management. God is not after us to figure out how to manage our sin, right? So, Tracy, because you've already agreed to accept this challenge, your goal, and I'm going to pour this in your hand and hold it over the bowl. The bowl is meant to catch the chocolate sauce. Yeah. Yeah. But your goal is to not let any chocolate get out of your hand. Okay. All right? Yeah. You think you can do it? No. All right. <laughs> Perfect. So we're going to load you up. A little more? Okay. All right. So if anybody wants that after service, you're welcome to it. Um, chocolate sauce. And so we view this chocolate sauce as sin... And we try to contain it, we try to hold on to it, we try to keep it inside of our grip. And as we're doing that, what happens is, is we maybe even realize that, that somebody walks in and might get a little bit of an angle on it, and so we pull it to our side, or we, you don't have to do that, pull it to our side, or we, we try to turn around, right, we try to hide it, we even maybe try to put it in our mouth and eat it, pretend it's a donut stick, or we try to throw it down, don't do that. We try to throw it down onto our ground, right? And so even when we do things, even when we do righteous things, like maybe we explicitly look at Scripture and we walk through it and we step through it and we follow the exact statements of every single thing, we know that, as Scripture tells us, we still have stains that will be present. We still have actions that will be causing us to become, you're good at this. 
Did you practice? No, I just, before I came, I figured out how I'm going to do it. Okay. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> we'll get there. We can add more chocolate sauce. Okay. Although I think we're getting close. I think we're getting close. No. All right. More sin. <laughs> Come on, Tracy. So as, as, as this starts to eke out of his hand, um, just want to convey that, that as, as he is trying to hold on to that, that sin, right? Life jostles us. Life moves us around. Life affects us. And we hold on. You tell us about your, what was your goal? Like just to hold it as tight as possible? Yeah. Okay. That works perfectly. So we're white knuckling, holding on to the steering wheel. We're trying to, oh, I see a little bit. Yes. So, I mean, I'm not glad you're holding on to sin. Um, but we've, we've got this, there it goes. So if you, if you can zoom in, use your zoom vision, you can see some coming down the side here. We got a little bit that through. The idea being, no matter how much we hold on to it, it's going to come through. It's going to spill over. It's going to affect either our environment or those around us. As we hold on to that sin, even if we're doing good things, even if we're going to church, even if we're serving at that, that kitchen or in that meal or we're helping out with kiddos, we still have righteousness that is like filthy rags. It's like autumn leaves, we wither and fall for our sins, sweep us away like the wind. And so if there's a little bit of wind that comes in, <laughs> there you go. And so, you ready for this piece? There's two more steps. First step is you're going to let the sin go slowly. Yep. So we're trying to let go of our sin, right? We get to that point where we're finally like, God, I have a need. I'm even face down before you. Beautiful. I'm before you, and I'm ready to, to be washed clean, and God, I'm, I'm ready to, to wipe it off, so start wiping it off your hands as best you can. Like, do this, do this. Yep, there you go, perfect. And so we notice it actually splashes and spreads around in other places. We're getting it off, right? And yet, there's still... Right, it's not coming off. Perfect. And there's still... Staying. There's still remnants of that. Even if we're not doing that thing, there's still a need to be forgiven. There's still a need to bring it before him and say, God, I, I actually admit and acknowledge this. Look at my hands. And so we could even try and, and, and rinse it off. So go ahead and direct, I'm going to add one more step. Go ahead and try and use some water. Yep, and try and get it off of there. Is it coming off? Yeah. All right. So it's helpful then. I'll step in this way. I'm getting close. It's helpful then if someone else comes in and wipes it clean. And I know this can get into pieces like water baptism and stuff. That's not the point here. The point is to illustrate that we are wiped off. Spots. No. All right, we'll check that. We'll check that open wound later. Thanks, Tracy. Let's give Tracy a hand. Thank you. Nothing on the 
So we need to be clean, made clean by someone else to come in and to wipe our hands clean. And we could see the waters become murky, and I would imagine if we let it sit long enough that, that darkness will settle to the bottom as fluids works. I'll have to ask my buddy Stephen if that's fully how that works. Um, fluids class at Purdue, side note real quick. Fluids class at Purdue, that was his like major, and like everybody got a D. So they curved the class. It was it's just like an insanely difficult class. So uh, fluids class, don't take it. Um, but 1 Corinthians 6.11, I don't know where that came from. 1 Corinthians 6.11, but you were washed. You were. Not that you did it. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It was caused upon you. It was caused upon me, it caused upon us by Jesus and his actions, by the Spirit of God working in us, affecting us, influencing us. And there's something about it that there, and there's even theology about it that it becomes irresistible. That the movement of God, the work of God, it is so amazing, it's, we're so moved by it that it is irresistible, that we can't help but go to that. We can't help but do that thing. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27, and it's not on a, on a slide, I've got it here. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And that's a passage that we even use in, in weddings to talk about how, what the man is called to do, what the woman is called to do, what we are then called to do together. And that as, for, for me as the man, that we are to, as, as representing God in the relationship, if we look at, at the passage further, that we are to be the one to present the bride. Meaning, Humans. As a church, we're to present them without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And can we as a church do that? The answer is no. Because Jesus has to be the one to do that, and we have to do that. And he involves us in that process. And we need to be as diligent as we can to work that out, to be intentional with that. But it's only through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so is our response to come in fear, in terror, in hiding, in blaming, or in repentance, an acknowledgement of a need outside of ourselves to come in? One more passage to read, and then I'll close to pray. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 21. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Through him, you are believers in God, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So God raised Jesus, who then gives glory. It's his own glory that he bestows. Nothing we can earn, nothing we can do to get there. He wants us to be involved, but it's because of him and it's through him that we get to experience salvation that began at our second birth. Salvation that's a restoration process the rest of our lives. It's not just salvation to come. Salvation we get to help share 
that Jesus comes in. So next week, Pastor Brock will be back, and he'll be jumping into a depraved mind and a corrupt heart and this irresistible aspect of, of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and how those pieces come together as we're getting into those pieces so that we're still, hit, hitting, still hanging out in some of those heavy, more teaching places, but it's so important that we hit these pieces and get that balanced diet. So if you think about a meal, it's helpful to have maybe a salad, and then you've got the main course, and then you've got the wonderful dessert. If we always get fed dessert, there's something going on. If we only get the beginning or the appetizer, we're still missing that. Even if we only get the meat and potatoes, we're still missing the other pieces. And so that's why we wanted to be hitting these spots here. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you come in and that you cleanse, that you offer that, that you cause us to respond, that you are amazing. And that we get to enjoy and experience these precious times together. That we get to be present in our families. That we get to have these relationships. That we get to gather as a church family. And that we get to make a difference in our communities because of the work you're doing in us. And then through us because we are open to your movement. God, it is your glory that we want to make known. And it's your glory that we get to have bestowed upon us. We give it all back to you. We acknowledge who you are. We respond by even to the point of physically going face down. God, we want to be open to receive what you have to give. And you have so much more to give than we even give you credit for. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.